Hello and welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast where we break down the 1987 sci-fi action movie Predator one minute at a time. Today we'll be discussing Minute 2 of Predator. Minute 2 opens with a spacecraft dropping off something in planet Earth's atmosphere and ends with helicopters landing on a beach at dusk? Question mark. This is what a lot of the minute-by-minute movie podcasts see in their opening minutes. We talk a lot of the opening credits. Uh, We'll talk about the spaceship we see in the beginning a little bit. We'll mostly talk about the credits, and we'll talk a little bit about the setting before the end. Right off the bat, we see the spaceship that is flying by planet Earth is the Yautja scout ship and then it drops off what is known as the drop pod if you really want to go in depth for um, what these ships are you can go online to xenopedia and you can also go a little bit deeper in the internet uh, to the yaucha encyclopedia i use that word yaucha sometimes throughout this podcast yaucha is just what the predators call themselves if you read any of the literature it's all yaucha Um, there are some other names they kind of went through before settling on that name eventually. Yaucha scout ship is the big one, and the Yaucha drop ship is what we barely, barely see throughout the sequence here as it drops it off on planet Earth. Other than that, you do not see the spaceships of the Predator at all in the movie. You see them in a lot greater detail in later movies, starting with Predator 2 and then going through the Aliens vs. Predator movies. Like I said, there's a lot of kind of canon you can go into, but other than just the names, I'll probably leave it at that for the listener to go into further uh, detail about what each of these ships is outfitted with. Hey, John. Yeah. Now, now when you say literature associated with this movie, are you talking about those <laughs> fine novelizations that you and I used to read when we were like in middle school and high school? There are a collection of books called Predator, and there are also the graphic novels, which we read in our youth. I don't remember if there's anything about the name Yaucha in the graphic novels, but I believe they would have discussed that name in the books. Yeah, I I vaguely remember reading a couple of novels when I was a young teenager and being particularly impressed by the amount of detail that went into the death scenes in the books right of characters that you otherwise knew nothing about one of the things i like about this movie though is the fact that the canon isn't really that important to it and especially since it's the first movie and there was no canon existence yet but even now many many years later enjoyment of the movie really doesn't have that much to do with knowing all of the backstory and all of the intricate kind of interconnected relationships between all of the characters that has risen since this movie came out right and we talked about that in minute one about how just keep it simple don't over explain things and people i think are more willing to go on that ride yeah jump right in and the way we jump into this minute right after they drop off the little spaceship over planet earth we fade out then we fade back into helicopters landing on the beach and as the helicopters are landing on the beach it's giving us the credits and i figure this is a great time to talk about opening credits because i believe so far we've only seen arnold's name we've seen predator and i think the producer's names and then we jump right into the actors after the little break between the spaceship and the helicopters and the first actor credit we have this minute is carl weathers playing the and i'm going to give 
the full name as it's on the Xenopedia. He is Al Dillon. Al Dillon. That's Carl Weathers. You don't hear him called Al very much in this movie. <laughs> no. Dillon! <laughs> There's, yeah, the, the, word, the name Dillon has some really notable lines in the movie that I think go really well. Al, not so much. Um, even Dutch's name. You don't hear his whole name, but his whole name is Alan Dutch Schaefer, and I'll just go through the full names as we go. But yeah, Carl Weathers, most well-known other than this movie to a lot of people as Apollo Creed and the Rocky movies, and then much, much later, he played a parody version of himself in the TV show Arrested Development, where he was giving uh, the main, or not the main, but one of the characters, Tobias, acting lessons. The way he parodied himself was always finding deals, like at Burger King, or making a stew out of leftover food. That was kind of his uh, go-to parody uh, in that show. Well, he was just on such a roll with this movie because, you know, they'd killed off his character in the last Rocky movie before this, uh, before Predator in Rocky Four, right? And so it was like, well, what was he going to move on to next? And then he had this big action hit here. And then, man, his career really changed after Predator, I got to say. Just can't help but wonder what in the world happened to him after this. It's hard to believe that it was, it was only nine years later that he was sort of playing the like the original parody of himself in Happy Gilmore, where all of a sudden, you know, uh, he's playing like the really old man with, with one arm, right? Oh, right. In the Happy Gilmore movie, uh, he was like the mentor to Adam Sandler, just like in a totally ridiculous, absurd role, whereas just a few years earlier, he was like, you know, one of the kings of action movies. It's so interesting how, uh, how quickly his career changed after this. Oh, that's funny that in Happy Gilmore, he has the one arm, because that's what ends up with him here at the end of this movie. He ends up with uh, just the one arm. arm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Spoiler alert. Uh, the one note, other than Arrested Development and Rocky, no notes is that he played Action Jackson in the movie Action Jackson one year later. It looked oh, like a big... Yeah. Like, we're going to try to franchise this guy. We're going to try to put him in some movies. And he was co-starring with a ton of people. He co-starred with Bill Duke from this movie. He co-starred with Sonny Landon from this movie. Uh, also... Uh, you had Biff from Back to the Future was in it. You had Craig T. Nelson, Sharon Stone, Vanity from The Last Dragon. Uh, so it looked like they tried to take him to be his own action star, but like you said, it just quickly tailed off after that. And maybe it was just him not being cast in the right role, or maybe him just kind of playing the same role over and over again, where it just sure. there wasn't a lot of flexibility or demand. Sure. And he was getting older, I and mean, he was already in his 40s when this movie was made, so... That's true. Arnold also was in his... He, he had just turned 40, I believe, when this movie was shooting. Yeah, but he wasn't slowing down. He was not slowing down. Something else I'll mention about these actors are their heights, because as I went through the credits, I was noticing a lot... A lot of tall people. So uh, Carl Weathers, six foot one, so a little bit taller than average. Arnold himself, there's a lot of debate about his height being somewhere between 5'10 and 6'2. And those are two of the shorter people in the movie. So just kind of like your slightly above average heights representing some of the shorter uh, actors in this film is really telling because uh, as we go through the other actors we'll be able to compare some of them so we'll move on so carl weathers after him immediately following is el padilla carrillo who's playing 
Anna, uh, the lone survivor that they take prisoner after the big shootout scene in, in the middle of the jungle uh, with the, I don't know what you'd call it, a Soviet camp. Guerrillas. Yeah, with the guerrilla camp. That's El Padilla Carrillo. She was from Mexico, starred in many Mexican film roles, guested on a lot of American TV shows like Pretender, 21 Jump Street, ER, Miami Vice, Madam Secretary, Mentalist, a few episodes of Nashville, and other than that, not a lot else that I could find on on the IMDb. I really like the fact that they got like an authentic Spanish speaker in this movie. That I think was really helpful instead of just having a like a white person with an accent. Right. And in fact, just in general, we'll get to this in later minutes, but just the Spanish in this movie is actually... Uh, I'm glad that it was real, so it wasn't really a distraction at all. Whereas I think there are were many movies made in this era, especially action movies, where they would just completely skip over and phone things like that in, like the uh, bits of, of language. And, and I really feel like it would detract a lot from the movie. But in Predator, they kept it simple, and I think it made the movie a lot more convincing. Right, yeah, when they're speaking it, something I definitely notice where they're just in the right atmosphere or in the right mood. They're really putting their emotion through the words versus stilting the words so that we understand. They're just rushing through it like when she's terrified later on. Next credit is Bill Duke playing Mac Elliot. So Mac, that you hear a lot, Arnold shouting throughout the movie. That would be Bill Duke, who stands an imposing six foot four. One of his other well-known roles is another Arnold movie, Commando, where he fights Arnold and he tells him he's a oh, yeah. he tells him he's a Green Beret, and Arnold says, "I eat Green Berets for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry." <laughs> yeah, they've got the they've got the great repartee in both of these movies. You're again, you're pointing out the fact that these characters are given full names, but really they just have the one really great name that goes well that really just befits the character in fact i'm kind of disappointed that they gave him full names because you really just need the one name well you have to do some research all these full names do come from xenopedia it's you know it gives them all biographical pages like a a wikipedia or (laughs) so are you thinking maybe it might not be official from the original script they might have just added some things in as they saw fit or yeah i don't think so i think it's just all almost fan fictiony bill duke uh, starred as an actor and not a lot else, kind of like Carl Weathers. Uh, his acting career has continued through the years, but um, not a lot of notable roles. He's more known as a director with 62 credits to his name in both TV and film, where he started off, it looks like, with a lot of popular TV shows. Knott's Landing, Miami Vice, Spencer for Hire, Matlock, Cagney and Lacey, Dallas, Falcon Crest. <laughs> his, probably his most well-known director uh, credit is Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. <laughs> All right, a little different flavor. It looked like he went down the road of being more of a documentary in more recent years, so maybe that's where his passions lie in telling true stories uh, of people and their struggles. Sure. Really love Bill Duke in this movie. Probably saw my least favorite role of his was in this movie. Steven Seagal, I want to say. Kind of ruined a lot of things for me because seeing him in Commando in this movie, he's like just this incredibly imposing, awesome guy. And then I watched him later in this action movie with Steven Seagal. It's just... Very disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Not a surprise, I guess. No, not a surprise. And we'll talk about each of these characters themselves as we see them in the movie. Um, Anytime I think of Bill Duke, I think of gonna have me some fun, gonna have me some fun later on in the movie. Oh yeah, well he's just 
he's got so many almost iconic moments in this movie. He just did a really great job with the character and they gave the character a lot of really fun moments in the movie. I mean, him with the, you know, with the razor going all the time. Right. Like, you know, I mean, it's an intense movie. His character maybe more than all the others, I felt like really embodied sort of like the quiet intensity going on throughout of it. It was just so much tension throughout the movie and, and so much fear thrills and stuff going throughout it. Yeah, I love how they use him as this kind of conduit or connection for the audience to, to know what to feel in terms of the fear, in terms of panic, really, because he's this cool, calm figure until stuff starts to go down. Uh, not only for that, but he gives us one of the few glimpses into the relationships these people have because the next actor credited is Jesse Ventura playing Blaine. Blaine Cooper. Mac and Blaine represent one of the few actual previous relationships uh, we feel in the movie because even though Arnold is down here with this elite group of commandos or mercenaries or soldiers, Mac and Blaine truly show some kind of chemistry, show some kind of bond or friendship throughout the movie. And later on, like we're talking about when stuff really goes down that's when we're seeing that relationship really in action but jesse ventura playing blaine cooper stood again like bill duke six foot four jesse ventura well known throughout the wrestling world as jesse the body ventura and then later in the political world as governor of minnesota right (laughs) he became jesse the mind (laughs) ventura um he was in a few other movies not a lot very few screen credits to to his name but he was in another arnold movie in the same year, 1987, uh, The Running Man. He was one of the crazy, you know, like gladiators in the arena that Arnold had to had to fight. You know how they were like all had these ridiculous outfits. It had all these huge pieces of hardware to fight him with, and Arnold was just like running around in a pair of overalls, <laughs> having to deal with all these guys. Right. And he was just one of the one of the big bad guys he had to kill. One of the memorable roles from Jesse Ventura for me is Demolition Man. He had a uh, he had a role as uh, one of these like marauding gangster guys. <laughs> I don't remember him having any line. But he was just like always looking ridiculous uh, in the background, getting ready to just rape and pillage throughout it. It just seemed like a perfect role for him with no lines and just like looking very rough. Yeah, it looks like he played a character named Cryocon. And then when you Google that image, it just looks like basically him right now without the, instead of having the hair in the back, just completely shaven bald. He was in Batman and Robin as an Arkham Asylum guard, The Ringer as a motivational speaker. Yeah, not a whole lot else. Oh, and then Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe as Abraxas. And I never wow. I never saw that one, but I've heard a couple podcasts about it, just how ridiculous it is and kind of turn, <laughs> turn into this kind of cult sci-fi action kind of movie. Right in recent years, Jesse Ventura has turned much more into almost a parody of himself. I don't know if he still has these shows where he's just this huge conspiracy theorist. Many, many people make fun of that and make fun of the conspiracies, but also just kind of make fun of his mannerisms just in his kind of gravelly voice. Um, But speaking of his gravelly voice, he has a lot of memorable lines here in Predator. Um, That's one of the beauties of Predator is that it's very light on dialogue. So a lot of of what people say uh, are just kind of quoted nowadays. Like I could look at each of these characters pretty much and name one quote from them. And Jesse Ventura has quite a few memorable ones. I think it's, uh, they're dug in deeper than Alabama Tick. That's one that comes to mind. Well, I think, I think the favorite one that everyone loves, right? That's what they, is what they named the, uh, the documentary of the making of, of Predator, as I recall. Wasn't that the name of the making of? Yeah, what was that? It was called, I Ain't Got Time to Bleed. <laughs> 
That's right. That's right. Classic line. And we'll we'll talk about his character, like I said, more when we actually see the character. But is but each of the characters pretty much has a has a very unique look. And uh, Jesse Ventura playing Blaine is no exception, not only with his look, but also with his weapon, which we'll talk a lot more about when we see it. Jumping to the next credit, that's Sonny Landon playing Billy, full name Billy Soul. In 48 hours, he also goes as Billy, another large, imposing guy standing at six foot three. Well, I was just remembering that 48 hours role that you were talking about. As I recall, there's uh, several times in the movie where they call out his name from, like... From afar, and it just sounds almost exactly like it did. In- Billy. <laughs> yep. Well, <laughs> Arnold's not the one yelling, obviously, but uh, but just hearing that name called from uh, like off screen at his character. Right, and we talked about Jesse Ventura being governor of Minnesota, Arnold Schwarzenegger famously governor of California, Sonny Landon also ran for <laughs> governor of his state, Kentucky, uh, did not win. Broke he, the streak. <laughs> broke the streak. He uh, ran for office in Kentucky as a libertarian for Senate, but he made some comments about killing off a certain group of people and that <laughs> obviously went against them and he withdrew his nomination. Uh, yeah. He comes from Cherokee and Seminole descent, so in Predator they <laughs> cast him as the stereotypical tracker and say, you know, which way which way we're gonna go? Yeah. You're gonna lead the group. Indian tracker. Some other acting credits, Night Realm I highlighted because Richard Chavez was also in that Richard Chavez we'll talk about next uh, played Poncho in this movie uh, Billy was also I keep saying Billy Billy and Sonny are kind of interchangeable because I don't think of him as Sonny I definitely think of him <laughs> as Billy whereas the other yeah. people I tend to think of their actor their actual names uh, but he also was in The Warriors Warriors uh, Poltergeist 48 Hours like we mentioned before A-Team Firewalker Action Jackson which we talked about before Miami Vice Best of the Best so a lot of action roles for Billy or Sonny do you want to talk about the whole bodyguard stuff they talked about oh uh, yeah it's, it's so interesting you know this is written in a lot of different places it was there's some good interview with John McTiernan in the making of that comes with the special edition DVD where he talks about the fact that the uh, the producers got him to hire a bodyguard for Sonny and he says what's he need a bodyguard for he's six foot three and like <laughs> incredibly big muscular guy he says no 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 it's to protect <laughs> other people from Sonny <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I can't remember which article I was reading. There's so many articles online about the making of this movie. I think because it was so complicated and it took so long and there were so many major changes to the cast and crew and location and so much going on with this movie that you'll find articles in Vanity Fair and Empire and recently read an article called Oral History of of the Making of Predator. So much stuff out there. One of them was talking about them going out to a discotheque in Mexico while they're filming this movie, and he's on the ground at the discotheque, biting women on the legs, uh, <laughs> writhing around. Did you, did you read this one? No, I didn't read that one. And that was, uh, I think that was around the time when it was clear to everyone that they really needed to have that Oh my gosh. Like, right away. Oh my goodness. No, I didn't, did not hear about that. But yeah, this is, yeah, with all the huge personalities in this movie, it's... No surprise that there are all these pieces still coming out about that with the oral histories and with the variety pieces. Uh, next credited is Richard Chavez playing Jorge Pancho Ramirez. And interesting to note that while in the script, most people go by their one name 
with Mac or Blaine or Dylan or Billy. Poncho pretty much goes by Ramirez in the script, which I thought was interesting um, versus going by Poncho and why that is. Not really sure. Maybe they just didn't come up with the name Poncho until uh, the move, like the actual filming of the movie. Um, do they? I forget. Do they call him Poncho or Ramirez in the movie? They use both in the in the movie. I, I want to say they only use Poncho once or twice, but they use both. But I think they call him Ramirez for a couple reasons. One would be is they they were obviously had a very sort of diverse group of commandos here, and so right. it was pretty cool that they uh, that they had someone who's Hispanic along with you know some African Americans and white guys and I think it also helps Arnold fit in really well if you have sort of this diverse cast then you're not sitting around thinking the whole time like why in the world is there this guy with a German accent running this team of commandos right right it's more right. easy to accept and not really think too much about if there's all kinds of different ethnicities represented around him and I also like the fact that it makes it more clear that they have like a native Spanish speaker among them so when it comes time for for them to actually interact especially with Anna, then it makes more sense that they have someone who can speak Spanish clearly with a good choice is the uh, I think for the cast and I know you've researched a lot of details about his career before I was mentioning the heights he's definitely the shortest of the crew at five foot ten that's a good five six inches shorter than the taller members of the group when I looked him up online uh, he has a very limited filmography and limited biography uh, it looked like he dropped out of the spotlight after being the target of a stalker at least according to uh, Wikipedia guest starred in a couple episodes of MacGyver, some other well-known TV shows from the 80s, early 90s, such as Babylon 5, Miami Vice, Dallas, Star Trek Voyager. He was one of the lead roles in the TV series War of the Worlds, but then he was killed off after one episode of the second season when a different management team took over the show and went in a different direction. Not a whole lot of other things you probably heard of. Lost Warrior, Dark House, Night Realm. As we mentioned before, that movie had Sunny in it. Baja Run. What I like about him in this movie, like you said, he's partly there to represent the bridge between the team and uh, the people that, I would say, they're interacting. The people that are <laughs> there to kill. <laughs> they're interacting. The people that they're there to direct. <laughs> that, they're, that they're killing, yeah. <laughs> that is interacting. That <laughs> is interacting. Um, he's, he's definitely not the large, loud, boastful type like the others are when you when you think of the team. He's there, you know, strictly for duty and to play his part, but he also seems very casual, I would say, in his, in his presence. He's there to fulfill the duty, but he, he's also just another part of the team. Absolutely. Well, actually, I'm glad you said that because I think one of the, the other things that he does, I think also Jesse Ventura to some extent, because he's an army veteran and a combat veteran at that from Vietnam, just like Jesse Ventura so I think it lends maybe a little bit of credibility to the idea of a bunch of soldiers in the jungle. If you've got some guys in the movie that actually had been soldiers in the jungle. Right, yeah, and I remember Jesse Ventura even mentioning that in one of the documentaries about um, him going into combat. But wasn't Jesse Ventura later like debunked as a combat vet? Oh, that's a good question. I th oh, he was a Navy SEAL. I thought what I had read before was that never actually saw any real combat. 
let me look at oh you know you're absolutely right I did not know that he didn't actually go into combat I just assumed since he got deployed to Vietnam that he had he had done some but I guess not let's see it looks like I just say his Navy career you're absolutely right he was U.S. Navy SEAL 69 to 75 did not see combat well, there you go but Richard Chavez you said was a veteran of the Vietnam War oh yeah he was a uh, he was a Vietnam vet also and he talks a little bit about it in the documentary that comes with the uh, the special edition DVD it says that he said that filming Predator was the closest thing that he had found to his time in Vietnam. Wow. He did one tour and was there in the army for three years, I guess. Okay. Yeah, his quotable line that I always think of is where he says, we hit nothing. I can't remember the lead up to that, but I always remember just the failed panic, that unbelievable edge he has to his performance of seeing something that he's never seen before like mo- like all of these guys just the whole I-, I can't believe this is happening the disbelief yeah you know he does that well because you know shortly before that they're wiping out the gorilla compound and he's like laughing while they're uh, blowing up all the gorillas right he says you ain't got time to bleed you got time to duck right and then he's and then he uh, fires grenade launcher over and over and then just starts cracking up laughing and then yeah a short time after that he's obviously shaken and, and definitely delivering his lines in a different way yeah uh, second to last credit for this minute is R.G. Armstrong playing General Phillips R.G. stands for Robert Golden another imposing figure you wouldn't think necessarily like this height trend continues throughout the cast but it does uh, R.G. Armstrong stands at six foot three. Uh, really well known for westerns if you look at his filmography it is long and detailed. He plays a lot of generals, sheriffs, lieutenant, judge, sergeant, reverend, captain, mayor, prosecutor, coach. So a lot of authority figures with his look. I don't know how you describe it. He has these kind of black eyes, not necessarily like a brown or blue. Very, yeah, dark. very dark, very imposing figure himself. And in this movie, he plays the general. <laughs> I think he does a good job of trying to play a uh, kind of a, the straight man in this movie. He's not trying to compete with, as you called some of the people earlier here, larger-than-life figures of guys like Jesse Ventura and Arnold. Yeah, we see him very briefly here at the debriefing in the beginning, and I believe, if I remember correctly, we see him very briefly at the end in the choppa. Yep. Uh, not a whole lot else to say about RG other than a lot of authority figures, and here he's playing that part again. Uh, last credit for the minute, Kevin Peter Hall playing the Predator, uh, the tallest of the group, which I think is something neat they did with the, the casting, where they're making all these imposing figures, and guess what? The Predator, the hunter of the group, or the hunter after the group, is just about a foot taller than any of the others. Um, he's well known for playing this movie's Predator as well as the Predator in Predator 2. He's also really well known for playing uh, Harry, the Sasquatch, the Bigfoot of Harry and the Hendersons. He also tended to play other monsters and aliens. These are just the role names themselves from his filmography. Mutant Bear, The Alien, Goreville, Monster... Leor and Charon, someone of his height, of his stature, uh, playing all these creatures, all these monsters, these aliens, is, again, pretty stereotypical for Hollywood. Hey, here's a big guy. Let's put him in these goofy outfits and make him either the villain or the sympathetic monster. 
I think that this was a really inspired casting choice. So I think in a later episode we'll talk more about kind of the craziness around casting, especially around the casting of the Predator. But the decision to have him as just a giant among these already really impressive large men, I think was a really good idea. And so they didn't try to get too cute or strange with the idea that the villain was going to be this just really big, imposing monster and made sure that it was it was someone at least as big as all these other guys. This movie had a lot of problems, not just with the setting, but also the casting. And right, if they had gone a different casting route like they originally planned, which we'll talk about later, but uh, I believe this movie would have been a lot, a lot different. Uh, and I would argue that people would have been a lot less terrified of <laughs> the on-screen presence that they had originally planned. But right, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll talk more in depth when he's on screen, uh, the Predator and Kevin Peter Hall, because uh, someone messaged me just a couple of weeks ago saying they were a friend of a friend of uh, the late Kevin Peter Hall, and so they'd be able to fill us in with more details, which I think would be awesome. Uh, he died prematurely at the age of 36 from an HIV-infected blood transfusion in 1991, so just four years after this movie. He most likely had a long career ahead of him playing not just monsters and aliens but probably other roles we don't know it's it's a big what if game uh, but certainly with how sci-fi fantasy action has taken off lately uh, he would have easily had some role if not you know a, a major role i could easily imagine him in you know the newest star wars or the newest marvel movie because at this time what would he be he'd be i guess in his early 60s big so he guy. could still yeah big imposing guy he could still play a large figure that's it for the casting credits for this movie, I believe they go right from here to the producer credits at the beginning of the next minute. So that's really all of our cast of characters uh, from Arnold through Kevin Peter Hall. Not a lot of actors to have to dive into. Again, like you mentioned, the beauty of the simplicity of this movie is that we have these main actors and as we go through the movie, we have less and less actors to talk about. So it's nice that this movie uh, keeps it simple with the, with the casting. Uh, we can talk about the location next. As we mentioned briefly in minute one this is primarily being filmed in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, especially this beach scene. More precisely, it's Boca de Tomatlan. I learned that from PuertoVallarta.net where uh, you can go to their website and one of their attractions on the website is the filming location for Predator. It looks to be about a 45-minute drive from downtown Puerto Vallarta to this beach town slash filming location. If you want an idea of how dense the jungle is and, and how rough the terrain is, the 45-minute drive is only actually 15 miles down the highway. So you can imagine just the, the terrain itself playing a part, not only uh, in the filming and the environs, but just um, how, how brutal of a, uh, of a setting that was for them to, to act in. Uh, as you notice in this minute too, if you've watched it recently, Aaron, uh, maybe you noticed that there's really no sunshine. It's it's very much kind of like an overcast darkness. We yeah. don't know if it's morning, if it's dusk, if it's the middle of the day. It could really be any time of day, but it's it's no golden hour as Hollywood is usually known for filming, and it's it's very much kind of this gray time. And do you think that represents anything? That's a great point. I, I thought when you mentioned that to me earlier in the notes, I was that was a really good point that the way they set the scene up yeah you can't tell what time of day it is and i actually think that's 
appropriate sort of the, to the mystery of the movie for sure and I think it this is I think this probably has got to be the most open shot of the movie you can see a horizon you can see the sky clearly uh, I mean you can see that there is a sky clearly although it's, it's cloudy uh, but I think it's the cloud cover itself is sort of setting you up for the idea that things are going to get much more claustrophobic throughout the movie so even though they're outdoors for virtually the entirety of this movie you definitely feel sort of hemmed in by the by the jungle and so I feel like this opening shot is kind of like saying goodbye to any open spaces. Yeah, and there's the claustrophobia. I like uh, with with the opening here on the beach. It's very reminiscent uh, with the helicopters, the palapa roofs. Those would be the straw huts, the jungle canopy. I feel like we're meant to be evoking memories of Vietnam movies, of your like Chuck Norris, your Stallone movies taking place in Vietnam. But this movie does not go that direction at all. It goes in a completely different direction so it's kind of fun playing with those tropes and John McTiernan the director just taking a completely yeah. different direction once they're dropped in the jungle. Now it definitely is getting you sort of I think trying to trigger in your mind the idea that we're, we're going to war in the jungle here camouflage schemes, the paint schemes these specific helicopters are all Vietnam era uh, helicopters that are trying to trigger you into thinking that we're getting ready. The other thing I really like just to talk about this sort of sequence in general, uh, man this movie does not mess around. They get through introducing all of the cast, the setting, characters very, very quickly. We'll sort of get through them here as we as we go through it. But they don't waste a lot of time with backstory here. And the music just starts right off the bat. And it's, you know, that kind of really severe, low bass line. And, and right. it doesn't let up for the entire movie, which I think is really, really cool that they, they started that right away. And yeah, so right away there's the intense music, there's helicopters, there's soldiers running around, and it's going to be like that the whole time. Not a lot of downtime. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as you see the helicopters, as it fades into the helicopters landing on the beach, it goes right into the. Yeah, we and we'll talk about the composer Alan Silvestri. Alan Silvestri. We'll talk about in the next minute, yeah. but yeah, his theme kicks off here in minute two. It's also the theme that we use here on the podcast to open. We use a cover of that that I found online and asked the creator of that guitar riff, Chaos Ware, who is on YouTube. I asked for his permission. He said, yes, just give me credit. And so there's his credit for the opening theme. I really want to quickly talk about the, the one difference in the script, and then we'll probably bring this to a close. I like that even the script itself, as simple as it is, uh, I feel like the movie does a great job of simplifying it even further. One example is here when they're first introducing the choppers they're opening this scene in the script with you at first thinking that you're going to see an alien ship landing in the jungle i'll just go ahead and read real quick through a a collage of shimmering heat waves a dark otherworldly object drops into view backlit by the fiery orange red sphere of a setting tropical sun heading slowly towards us floating as if suspended by the rising heat of the jungle continuing to approach the shimmering object resolves into a military assault helicopter its rotors strobing in the fading sunlight and while that's kind of cool to visualize if you saw that on screen you'd be immediately thinking that thought which Oh, it bugs me so much in movies where they say, oh, we're like not so different, you and I. Like your helicopter and our spaceship, they're really one and the same. They're meant for the same. They're meant for hunting in the jungle. And I, for one, hate that message. I don't like that. Never never like that. And like, we're one and the same. Um, so I like that they changed that for the movie where you see the spaceship being dropped off in the atmosphere. And the next scene, it's clearly helicopters. So you're not meant to think at all that they're one and the same. But two, I also like how they changed this golden hour 
mentioned in the script in sunshine or whether it be sunset or sunrise uh, there's really no sun at all in the movie and I like what you're talking about how they change that for this kind of claustrophobic feel which I feel serves a movie much better than this imagery this fiery imagery absolutely I gotta say the uh, uh, I like this shot a lot in general there's a couple other things I was thinking about with it when the helicopter carrying the team comes in here for landing it's not messing around either it's doing a pretty fast landing with a pretty aggressive flare on it sorry if I get a little technical oh no go ahead <laughs> some of these things it reminds me of search and rescue days sometimes people were ever flying aggressively but it's definitely I think part of getting into the the mood of of there being some action coming up. One of the other things I like about this movie is there's a lot of people that have picked out a lot of different details in here. So you can go to a lot of different websites where they'll tell you about a lot of details. You talked about Xenopedia earlier. It's at this website called rotoreaction.org. <laughs> they talk about every like helicopter scene in every Hollywood movie you've ever seen. Give you some background on these on these helicopters here if you want to learn more about them. Although it's not, not so important for the story. I will say I really like the editing. I was just watching this minute again and that helicopter is coming in so low so quickly and it starts to ease back and they cut to the general looking out the window of his palapa and that helicopter just beautifully is still at the same axis point the still at the same tilt point and it lands and that's the end of our minute but I really like the editing of keeping it all at the same angle it kind of puts you in the place uh, of an observer um, over the shoulder of the general as it goes to his hut um, so that's where we end the minute is this helicopter just landed it seems to be of import because this uniformed man is watching it from his hut and I can't wait to see what happens in the next minute <laughs> this has been Predator Minute I'm John and I'm Aaron until next time stick around our theme music is provided by Chaos Wear. Predator Minute can be found on the following podcatcher services iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podcast Republic, with more to come. Predator Minute is hosted on SoundCloud at Predator Minute Podcast. Predator Minute has a social media presence on Twitter and Facebook at Predator Minute. If you have questions or comments, please email us at PredatorMinute at gmail.com.